What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome back to part three of Game of Microphones, episode 131, covering the season finale of House of the Dragon, season one, episode 10, The Black Queen. And we're resuming with Luceris and Rhaenyra, right before she sends them off on their missions to treat with River Run, Winterfell, and Storm's End. Yeah, is it Luke or is yes, Luke says, yes, mother. And he's like, oh, oh, your grace. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah she's, that was she's, she's mom, but she's also the queen. But, yeah. Um, so that was a cute little moment. Quickly corrects and, himself. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the last thing he says to her because she says, go to it then. And uh, yeah. they fly away. Um, I was trying to figure out who the third dragon was, but I'm pretty sure it's Melis. Yeah, Maylis, it is. Uh, it is. Rainey's going to patrol the gullet. Yep. Really great music here as the, the three dragons take flight and they're all kind of flying together for a minute. And presumably probably like westbound towards the continent of Westeros. And um, they kind of split off and um, Luke has to go south towards uh, Storm's End and um, Rhaenys and Maelys probably just continue westbound towards the gullet or maybe southwestbound. And then Jace has to uh, turn north, uh, northwestbound towards the Vale of Arryn. It's a really good shot too. Jace and Vermax take off from the castle and they sort of fly out and then Maelys comes from behind him and kind of catches up and they zoom past the camera as Arax takes flight. And then the camera pans with air axe and they are all flying together. <laughs> and yeah, they split up. And man, you know what it made me think of? What's that? The quote from Game of Thrones. When the snows fall and the white winds blow, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. It's the thing about dragons and dragon riders. They're, you know, by nature, they're a lone wolf. Yeah, exactly. And that's what Rhaenyra, via the prophecy, is trying to convey is she needs to hold the realm together. The pack so together. So that it's not, yeah, hold the pack together. And that way it's not just the, the you know, her and Damon or her and Cyrax and Damon and Caraxes. They're not where they're all working together. Yeah, uh, separately. And instead of snow falling, we have a storm blowing, you know, instead of the white winds and Arax and Lucerus fly off alone like Lone Wolf. And, oh, and it's just like the Starks little saying there. But uh, yeah, like you were saying, next it cuts to darkness. Uh, yeah, right as Luke flies, Luke and Vermax fly into the storm. It's... uh very foreboding to fly even an airplane in that kind of weather, much less a reptilian beast. Oh, Arax. You said Vermax. Have I got them backwards? Yeah. Uh, Luke's is Arax and um, Jace has Vermax. Oh, okay. I did have them backwards. 
Cool. Awesome. Noted. Yeah, because when I discovered the dragon's name, it was when he landed at Storm's End in the courtyard, and it says Arax, like rum, uh, Grumbles or something, and I was like, oh, Arax, okay, that's a cool name. <laughs> Excellent. And so Damon is going through these dark corridors with nothing but a torch, and he's stuck, like, it's almost a hum at first, I think, when, and then we hear him start to sing, and Matt Smith has a pretty good voice. Yeah, not bad. Um, He's continuing to to move forward in the passageway and continues to sing in high Valyrian and really cool sounding lyrics. And he kind of finally comes into this open chasm sort of uh, situation and which reminded me of Tyrion when he went down into the depth of Marine. Oh, yeah. To, good call. Um, Tyrion unleashed him, didn't he? Or no? Yeah, he uh, he took the chains off of them. Danny had gone away, I think, or something, and nobody was there to do yeah. it. And he went in and don't kill me. <laughs> you know, yeah, unchained their necks. Yeah. And he said, Don't eat the help. I remember all the all the theories, ours yeah. included, that uh oh Tyrion is blood of the dragon because they didn't roast him, they didn't eat him. Yeah, very um, interesting. Which still could be true. Like that's definitely something George could explore in the books, and he very well may. That's what's taking so long. Um <laughs> Maybe it'll be important in the Jon Snow series. Yeah, Jon Snow, you're my lost brother, Tyrion. Yeah. <laughs> we have to find all the secret Targaryens. Tyrion Targaryen. First of his name. <laughs> yeah. I legitimize you as King of the North. But um, he, uh, he, he sets the lantern down, which was an interesting... I, was, I wouldn't expect him to do that. And continues singing... And then do we get a little glimpse of Vermithor before he lights up the fire? Or like, it's just Yeah, you can see him just fire. kind of lurking out in the darkness just a little and his wings are off to the sides. And it's just like a, a blurred shadow sort of beyond yeah, Damon I mean, in it's the a darkness. Dark, yes, inside the mountain, I think. And it's just total darkness. Like when Drogon appears out of the darkness to roast Varys in yeah. season eight. It's just those dark dragons, like you can't see them. And there's like steps up to a little plateau and a couple columns mm -hmm. and a hallway leading up to it, all carved from the, the living rock. Crazy, crazy. And then just Vermithor out of nowhere just bleh, unleashes. I mean, like, this may be the biggest, <sighs> longest gout of flame we've seen in either show. Maybe. Drogon had some pretty good roast fests. Yeah. But like Vermithor really unleashes the fire here and just every way up and kind of pans his head across the room and just lights Damon's face, not literally, but the light of the fire. <laughs> Illuminates. <laughs> Damon's, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's the better word. Illuminates Damon's face. And uh, he's just kind of looking at it as the bronze fury, the second biggest dragon in oh. the universe. And he manages to keep his cool too. He, he seems a little bit nervous when the fire starts breathing, but he keeps his, keeps calm keeps singing the song and interestingly when have we seen a dragon light fire like unleash the fire like you said one of my favorite symphony x songs the <laughs> the the opening track to the odyssey uh great album if you're interested in symphonic metal technical progressive power symphonic metal uh but we had seen something similar a few episodes prior with Amond when he snuck down into the dragon pit after the pink dread situation when he encountered Dreamfire down there. 
the same, the dragon did the same thing and shot fire all over the ceiling and he fell over on his back and it ran. Remember? So these are like Mm -hmm. another parallel between Damon and Amond alone in the darkness inside of a cave with the dragon lurking in the dark, shooting fire on the ceiling. Basically the same thing with the two different dudes. Absolutely. They're really hammering home the parallels between these two. And uh, this the scene is just mesmerizing, man. And I, I found some information about the song from from Screen Rant. The title of Damon's nice. lullaby in House of the Dragon is Haros Bartosi, which translates to with three heads in English. Game of Thrones language creator David J. Peterson added another stanza to the song in its English tra- English translation to properly convey the meaning of the lullaby which is a haunting tune about dragons, their connection to House Targaryen, and perhaps even the prince that was promised prophecy. Since Daemon's lullaby was successful in calming Vermithor, it's possible that the song was already sung to the dragon by the previous rider, King Jaehaerys I. Nice. Here's the English translation of Daemon's High Valyrian song via David J. Peterson. Fire breather, winged leader, but two heads to a third sing from my voice the fires have spoken and the price has been paid with blood magic with words of flame with clear eyes to bind the three to you I sing as one we gather and with three heads we shall fly as we were destined beautifully freely Bro, is he trying to like dragon horn Vermithor and <laughs> I another? Know. I don't know. I mean, is he gonna ride? Is he gonna ride Caraxes, but also like sort of command Vermithor and Silverwing together, like Danny with Viserion and Rhaegal? That would be Bro, nuts. That, like that song is. He talks about a three, basically a three-headed dragon. Yeah. So the it, unclaimed it, it, and there's a little more information. Um, right. That's spoilery. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, just more context about the song. If you want to finish your thought, then I'll, uh, read it. Man, that, yeah, but that like, I mean, I'm thinking he's take just kind of getting Vermithor used to humans again. Cause yeah. Jaharis has been dead for a while. And if he can figure out that he can approach Vermithor without getting roasted or crunched, he'll take, uh, Reyna possibly to go claim Vermithor. That's what I was thinking. They could do their duet. <laughs> and sing together to him. Yeah. Uh, or we, and we talked about and or Silverwing. Well, not mm-hmm. and or, but or Silverwing. But this seems like some, Damon has something very different in mind. It's entirely possible. Uh, for some more context from Screen Rant, they add, wow. as beautiful as the lullaby was without any context, Damon's dragon song is far more powerful when discerning its real meaning. The first stanza is describing three dragons but more importantly, seems to be describing three Targaryens, Aegon the Conqueror and his sister wives, Visenya and Rhaenys. The second stanza in House of the Dragon's High Valyrian Song is referring to the blood magic sacrifices made in Valyria, likely by the Targaryens. The stanza's lyrics are also seemingly describing the doom of Valyria as the land was devastated by fire and natural disasters. The doom of Valyria was theorized to be caused by blood magic, suggesting the doom was a price to be paid for such sorcery. 
while the words of flame in the song's third stanza could be representing Egon's dream and his inscription of the prophecy in the Valyrian cat's paw dagger, it may also be referring to a Valyrian wedding ceremony to bind the three Targaryens in marriage through fire and blood, the conqueror and his, conqueror and his sister wives. The marriage between the conquerors, Aegon, Visenya, and Rhaenys, is why House Targaryen's sigil is a dragon with three heads, which is represented by the lyrics in the lullaby's fourth stanza. The three Targaryens are able to fly freely in Westeros, with destined being a crucial translation that applies to Aegon's prophecy. So yeah, it the, like you mentioned, binding and the dragon horns, they're... In the books, they do speak of these dragon horns, which you, the Valyrian dragon riders would use to bind the dragons to their will. And if I remember correctly, somebody has one on a boat. And one of the characters, I don't want to say who or anything, too spoilery, potentially. Read the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Read the books. But somebody blows the horn, and it roasts their lungs from like burns their lungs up from the inside and uh only people that are targaryen potentially can blow the horn without being killed by the uh the fieryness <laughs> of it maybe even just danny maybe the unburnt maybe which yeah. is special even within the targaryens is a speciality yeah seriously um chaos demon wrote on twitter damon is such a targaryen history nerd i love him so much singing a dragon <laughs> song using all of his knowledge to protect his family even risking his own life <laughs> thought that was pretty cool nice yeah pretty crazy scene and then that but that's all we get he, he, yeah, it, Vermithor comes close. You see to a calm little bit down. of his detail. His teeth are like jagged, not like shark's teeth. They're not like alligator. They're like it's like a mixture of shark and it. dinosaur. Yeah, it really is. It's really gnarly, angled all crazy, and his jaw is like waggling back and forth. Like wow, wow, wow! It's crazy. <laughs> And he kind of comes close, and uh, we zoom in on Vermithor's eye. We zoom in on Damon's eye. Like you can see the dragon in the reflection of Damon's pupil. Yeah. And they just have this moment, and then that's it. It just cuts to the next scene, right? Yeah. The last like, time we saw, we yeah, <laughs> the last time we had seen a dragon and a human make eye contact like that, it was Lena right before she got roasted by Vagar. So it seems like they connected in some way in this moment as they yeah. you, they reflected each other's eyes and everything. And I'm really curious Absolutely. to see what happens. Too bad we have to wait until like 2040 for the next freaking season. Oh, man. Brutal. But uh, <laughs> I was trying to find some music for uh, Sir Richard Horsfield, and we finally found it from season yeah. six. It wasn't season seven or eight like we were looking. But in that search, I uh, rewatched the Danny and John uh fly around the town at Winterfell and before John mounts Rhaegal, John and whichever dragon he rides, it's got to be Rhaegal, have this kind of eyeball connection moment before John mounts him. And I'd forgotten that John is a legitimate dragon rider. Yeah, so going yeah. forward, like Danny is dead and Drogon is unclaimed. Obviously he's the, all the theories that Drogon carried uh, Danny off to, 
a shy by the shadow or somewhere else to be reanimated. I, I mean, hope who so. knows? That'd be so but cool. John literally rode a dragon. Uh, Rhaegal got killed. Maybe he'll find an John's, ice dragon in the north. In theory, bro, the, if they were to go epic with it, some people are like, John, the John Snow show should be like these simple little fun adventure stories with Tormund and the island of Skagos and random stuff up at the wall. But like, if they wanted to go big and epic and something totally wild, Ice dragons conquering, you know, the far north of Essos. I mean, this is a million possibilities. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so badass, dude. So next, it cuts over to the storm again, and Arax is swooping down towards Storm's End with its giant central tower that rises up like a huge middle finger to the gods as the Baratheons defy their will by conquering the storms with their insanely thick castle walls that <laughs> seems to defy all the gods' efforts to destroy it. And <laughs> it's a really cool-looking castle. And yeah, very cool. Arax comes zooming around it and lands down in the courtyard and... He hops down from Luke hops down from Arax as the guards are staring silently, ominously, and Arax is kind of agitated. And as Luke walks forward, we hear it a deep grumble. <laughs> oh man, it's so awesome! Right then, right then, turn around, give your little message, throw your message at the guards. Hey, give this to your lord. I'm out of here. Hop back all that, your dragon, and get out of there. Yeah. Run. Uh, totally. And so then lightning flashes, and we see Vagar <laughs> lurking off to the side. And he kind of shakes his head, and his tongue is flapping. And Luke is like, oh, <laughs> oh shit. Eamon is here. And uh, he explains to the guards who he is, and they bring him inside. And, oh, man, I was thinking that, you know, Vagar must be reacting to Arax's arrival. And I don't think they've yeah. had any interactions before. As we know, there's no history between Arax and Vagar. So there's no pre-existing emotional connection between the two, which probably made it easier for, you know, Vagar to look at him as prey and not as a peer. Um, and I, I felt like Vagar is like looking down, like, who is this little bitch? You know, <laughs> like, who's this little <laughs> tiny little squirm worm? And uh, so Luke is escorted inside where he's met in the, where he meets Boros Baratheon in the great hall. And, and he's announced and thunder and lightning strikes again. And we see that Aemond is already stay in there standing off to the left. And he's with a woman, which, you know, right off the bat, Luke should have seen this, realized that he's been betrothed to a Baratheon woman and just left right then. The deal is impossible to make because the the black the Greens have already made a deal. He should have just booked it right at that moment. But yeah. dutifully, he, you know, tries to follow through with his thing. And um, it's interesting. We learn, we do learn that, that Aemond has been betrothed to a Baratheon and it's remindful of how Rob Stark had to betroth himself to a Frey woman to get access to and passage through the twins and the critical yep. bridge that the Freys command similar type situation here. Oh, you want the Baratheons? Then, you know, we want in for the Royal family. Basically you got to marry one of my daughters. 
<laughs> and so he tells Boros he's brought a message from the queen, his mother. And he's like, huh, the queen, huh? Earlier this day, you know, I uh, received an envoy from the king. So which is it, king or queen? And right off the bat, he's being an ass. And I'm like, oh, God, this is not going to be good. This is not, this is not going to be good. Mm-hmm. And further insults the house of the dragon saying, the house of the dragon does not seem to know who rules it. And he's chuckling to himself. Like, what's your mother's message? Luke just holds out his hand, <laughs> which is hilarious. And one of his yeah, one of the little guards, gang, little gangster move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, here, it's right here. <sighs> so one of the guards grabs it and brings it up to Lord Boros, and we figure out that he is um, illiterate. Lord, yeah, Lord Boros the illiterate. That's what I'm going to refer to him as now. <laughs> yeah, good call. Um, and I guess it's not entirely unusual for Lords of Westeros to be illiterate. But I was surprised that one of the sort of greater houses, the Baratheons, would have an illiterate lord. That's that's surprising. You'd think like Stark, they're trained from early childhood to to read and write and do all this. Same with the Targaryens. Um, and yeah, so the Baratheons, you would think that they would be also. But, you know, like it's one thing for the Freys or the, the Ironborn. What are they? What's their last name? Greyjoys. Greyjoys. Um, you know, lower lords type thing. Um, but yeah, so a little bit surprising. And uh, he's like, where's the bloody maester? Kind of reminded me of King Robert at that point. Yeah, that was definitely a Robert kind of sound in line. Yeah. And he, they wait for the maester and Luke is, Luke is looking nervous with Aemond just lurking off to the side. And so he, he reaches up and grabs the hilt of his sword, which is... Uh, just like his brother had been doing throughout the episode. And uh, Boros gets whispered in his ear by the maester, and he's like, remind me of my father's oath. Like, oh, he's all pissed at the wording and the phrasing of it. Mm-hmm. Like, let me remind you, Lord Boros, that your family has sworn an oath. You know, Rhaenyra talking down to him, I guess. And mm-hmm. he interprets it uh, as being disrespectful. So he returns the disrespect at least king Aegon came with an offer he says my swords and banners for a marriage pact if i do as your mother bids which of my daughters will you wed boy and he looks over and there's like three daughters lined up and you should have been like all three of them but <laughs> i may be small but i'm enough man for all of them and uh <laughs> he's like my lord i'm not free to marry i'm already betrothed so you come with empty hands? Go home, pup. And the way he said pup, called him that, that was mm. damn disrespectful, you know? Yeah, prince prince of the realm, heir to Driftmark. Yeah, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so Boros seems to know about the bastardy and uh, isn't playing any of Rhaenyra's shit, apparently. So he's like, tell your mother that the Lord of Storm's End is not some dog that she can whistle up at need to set against her foes. And Luke is doing his best to be diplomatic and respectful. Mm -hmm. And I shall take your answer to my queen, my lord. And as he turns to go, Prince Aemond is like, wait, my lord strong. And his eyeball is just glaring. (sighs) Ugh. 
Did you really think that you could just fly about the realm trying to steal my brother's throne at no cost? And from his perspective, you know, this is a major infraction. Like, you know, legit, he's flying around the realm trying to steal his brother's throne. And it's just, you know, they both feel this way. But yeah, but uh, it's no small deed. And definitely. Uh, I will not fight you. <laughs> I came as a messenger, not a warrior. I came as a messenger, not a warrior. <laughs> fight would be a little and, challenge. Uh, exactly. Totally doesn't even. That'd be nothing. <laughs> Is this where he pulls off the eye patch? I want you to put out your eye. And he's got a fucking sapphire in his eyes. Sapphire. Oh! So gnarly. I wonder how they did that. You think it's all CG post-production, or do you think they used like um, a big, huge, full eyeball contact that looks like a sapphire? You know how like... Yeah, uh, it's probably, yeah, it's probably all in post. Yeah, that's know. what I was thinking too, but... Remember Jim Carrey when he did the movie uh, The Grinch? He had wore big yellow contacts and they like made his oh, eyes nice. really sore. <laughs> uh, so he pulls off his eye and he just looks so badass. Like this is really cool. George did a nice job thinking about thinking of that. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, I want you to put out your eye as payment for mine. <laughs> One will serve. So crazy. I would not blind you. And he, he takes his dagger out and tosses it and it clatters across the ground towards towards Luke. And it's kind of it reminded me of the scene where the Joker pretends to be dead and takes out Gamble, the the, the dude, when he how out alive. And, you know, he jumps up and kills him after telling him about his scars. One of those fake stories. The uh-huh. really the good one about his father being a drunk, and then there's two like henchmen left over, and he's like, "Unfortunately, we only have one slot available, so we're gonna have tryouts." And he cracks a pool <laughs> cue and tosses <laughs> it down to him, and the way it like clatters across the ground sort of just reminded yep. me of that. Crazy, and uh, he's like, "One eye will serve. I would not blind you. Mm, plan to make it a gift to my mother." And it's like, dude, he's. Just like Allison, he learned this from her, the like legit eye for an eye thing, because she already yeah. tried to get his eye. So this idea mm-hmm. has been in his head, just boiling and festering for years at this point. He's like, I want that eye. I still want that eye, boy. Yeah. Luke stands up to it. No. Yeah. And Boros is sitting back in his chair at this point, like, whoa, what is what is going on here? Yeah. Luke stands yep. up for himself. And he's like, then you're a craven as well as a traitor. And he rushes forward towards him, like lunging. And Boros is like, not here. And un- undeterred, Aemon presses forward. Give me your eye or I will take it, bastard. And the way he lunges forward and poses dramatically with a dagger, picking it up off the floor. He looked like legit maniacal. Uh, great yeah, performance. Absolutely. Couldn't have been better casting for this guy. Like he looks like a lunatic. It's awesome. And this is when Boros like stands up. And he's like, not in my hall. The boy came as an envoy. I'll not have bloodshed beneath my roof. And I'm thinking at this point, don't leave Luke. <laughs> you know, if he's not going to have bloodshed <laughs> yeah, under this roof, roof just exactly. stay until Amond leaves. <laughs> Don't go. Yeah, but Boros doesn't, Boros doesn't give him that option. Take yeah. Prince Lucerus back to his dragon. Yeah, so exactly. kicking him out. Now. Oh, man. So they escort him away. And then is it, I think this is where, uh, 
Eamon has the dagger back in his hand already and he kind of flips it around in his hand. Super crazy. Super awesome. And yeah. Classic like gunslinger move, you know, flipping the revolver. Yeah. And, <laughs> and apparently in the books, one of Boros's other daughters at this point, Eamon mm-hmm. lets Luke leave. And the daughter says like, what? Did he take your eye or one of your, did he take one of your eyeballs or one of your testicles? You know, like, what are you, what are you, are you a craven? Basically? I can't remember what the, what's the exact quote. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I'll have to find it, but that, that's the gist of it. Uh, did he, did he take uh, one of your eyes or your manhood as well? Balls. I, yeah. If I want to, I want a husband with all his parts. I mean, what, what happened? Do balls drop off? And so <laughs> in the book, that's what triggers him to go out and, hop on Vagar, but we don't see that here. All we, we, the camera follows Luke as he hurriedly rushes mm-hmm. out and, uh, Amond is furious and Luke is scared. So Vagar is also furious and Arax is scared because the dragons and masters seem to not only have like a mind meld to some extent, but they, they share not only physical pain, but emotional feelings, it seems. So, mm-hmm. but the dragon, but but the humans can control their emotions to some extent, while the dragons don't care to bother. I mean, why? Why would why do they have to? Why would they ever have to worry about that? It's not like they have to deal with interpersonal blowback or consequences like humans do. They don't have to rein in their emotions at all. So it's interesting yeah. to ponder to what extent the emotions of humans influence their dragons, and vice versa. If if mm. Vagar's angry, does Aemon get angry? You know, uh, we've already discussed. Potentially that dragons can impart strength to their riders um, as injured people rush to their dragons to try to stay strong in certain circumstances. But does does dragon rage fuel the fury of the men who ride them too? Uh, Crazy. Impossible. Could Vagar sense Amon's hatred and act on it because he doesn't possess the same capacity for restraint as Amon, which is already barely any? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Oh, crazy. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I figured out the whole problem. They're speaking to the dragons in English. <laughs> a little bit. That was back and forth. No, Vagar. No, Vagar. <laughs> he did say, sir. I think he said, uh, obey or serve at one time. Arax. No, Arax. Bro, imagine, man. Arax, if nothing, he's he's got balls to blast the biggest dragon in the world with flame. Yeah, I mean, no kidding. You got to be confident in yourself to do that. No kidding. Um, <laughs> I found the quote from the book. Come on, hit me. Hit me. <laughs> hit me with it. <laughs> okay, so, um, okay, so Boros has Luke escorted to outside to his dragon. And in the book, here's the quote. It says... Uh, you came here as a craven and a traitor, Prince Aemon answered. I will have your eye or your life strong. At that, Lord Boros grew uneasy. Not here, he grumbled. He came as an envoy. I want no bloodshed beneath my roof. 
So his guards put themselves between the princelings and escorted Lucerus Valerian from the round hall back to the castle yard where his dragon, Arax, was hunched down in the rain, awaiting his return. And there it might have ended, but for the girl Maris, the second-born daughter of Lord Boros, less comely than her sisters. She was angry with Aemond for preferring them to her. Was it one of your eyes he took, or one of your balls? Maris asked the prince, in tones sweet as honey. I am so glad you chose my sister. I want a husband with all his parts. <laughs> Brutal. Sick, sick burn. Yeah. Yeah, so that set him off in the books, and he went out and mm. bind, bind and chewed and destroyed. Pretty epic. So we get outside. Arax is all flustered with everything that's going on. He senses the unease in Lucerus and his fear. And so he's kind of growling out there and grumbling. And Luke tries to calm him down. He's, he's like, focus, pay attention, Arax. All in, in Valyrian. Be calm, listen, obey. Goes through a whole list of commands. And Vagar is gone now. He looks over towards the wall where he had been and there's no sign of him. And the th storm is thicker than it had been before. And it's blustering and chaotic out. And it's, it's, it's pretty scary. And he hops on <laughs> and starts flying through the sky to try to escape. And it seems like he may be escaping at first. But we get a, a view from behind approaching and it looks like it may be like a view from Vagar's direction then a grumble that low low growl again mm. we always get to mm. you know like you said hear the dragons before we see them and so Luke riding on the back of Eric's turns to look in the direction from that last camera shot had been but there's nothing there and he's like ah oh. then it shows a shot from beneath as he's flying across and through a gap in the clouds, we see the giant larger dragon above him. And then he disappears <laughs> behind another cloud. Man, this is so crazy. Such a crazy shot because we can see it, but Luke can't. This is literally like a 747 flying above a little Cessna. A Cessna. It, the size comparison is just enormous. Enormous. And Luke must hear something above him because he looks up and he's like, oh, sh shit, I don't see anything. And he's nothing. Nothing's there. And then a couple seconds later, apparently Vagar and, and Eamon got enough distance so that they could turn around and come at him head on. And it's like a game <sighs> of dragon chicken uh, for, <laughs> for a moment. <laughs> you know? And they, whoa! He flies past and we hear Eamon <laughs> laughing over the storm and like a, like a classic uh, pirate moment or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't It seemed familiar to me, like... There's, I guess there's probably a lot of scenes like that, like uh, where the bad guy's laughing in the background, but you can't see him. And, and after a narrow miss, Eric's flapping his wings, frantically trying to escape. But after just seconds, Vagar closes in from behind, chasing him. Ow, Vagar snaps his jaws at him and reaches with his claw to try to grab him. No dice. And this is a scene uh, right out of the books. Uh, Doug Wheatley, one of his illustrations where uh, Vagar and Eamon are right behind him, just gunning for him. And I mentioned on the live show that uh, Eamon here is just setting up a bad situation. You can't expect a dragon to understand that you're only pretending the other dragon is prey, right? Like if you have a dog 
and you sick it on something, it's not going to know the difference between joking and and like, oh, this is actually a squirrel you should eat. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like they're going to go for yeah. it. Even here, I mean, Vagar does a big chomp and then reaches down, you know, with her claws. Like I, at, at this point already, I don't know that Vagar is not already out for blood. Yeah. Um, obviously, getting flamed in the, the face. Anger. Yeah, getting flamed in the face, you know, that definitely, you know, sets Vagar off even more. But even here, I, after rewatching, I'm like, man, Vagar may have been going for blood right here, even though Amond is just kidding, just playing around, man. Yeah, I think he was too. For sure. And I, I think it's at this point where Luke uh, tries to use the small maneuverability of his dragon and he enters a steep dive um, and is trying to, to get down low and outmaneuver Vagar and Amond. Uh, but Amond puts Vagar in the same dive. And so the rain and the wind is flying um, as Vagar enters the, the dive. All the ropes uh, that are attached to Vagar, oh, they're flying everywhere. Love those uh, ropes. Amon is still just, you know, maniacal, just laughing and smiling, just knowing that there's almost no chance for this little dragon and this little boy to get away from him and his enormous beast. And um, once they kind of get down low near the water, um, Luke, I think, sees a little a canyon, almost a crevice, a little bit bigger in the rocks. So he's like, all right. Yeah. More pod racing. Me. Yeah, exactly. This is straight pod racing. Or Top Gun Maverick. But uh, yeah, they, um, Luke and Erex enter the canyon and it's really tight. At some points, uh, Erex is like pulling his wings in um, enough to clear the rocks, but still he's able to keep his lift and keep flying. Yeah, that's flying. true. Like, not, like an owl. Yeah, if you bring remember. your wings all the way in, you know, you're going to start falling. But, you know, they can just do that and then put their wings right back out and maneuver some more. And then as they, as they entered uh, the canyon, Vagar and Eamon have to do, you know, have to do a Top Gun move, just yeah. pull up to avoid crashing into the rocks. I thought we Nine might get some, some views of, of Vagar, like not hitting the rocks, but like almost pushing off and like climbing the rocks with its feet oh, as it's flying awesome. to keep, to keep from smashing into it. But I guess so they cool. are far enough away to where they just entered this like vertical climb to avoid, you know, the, the rocky outcropping. And then we get more cool shots of Vagar and Amond above the Canyon and Luke and Arax, you know, flying down, uh, flying the Canyon down below. And, um, there's this awesome overhead shot of Vagar and you can see her wingspan and it's just enormous. enormous above that canyon. Colossal. And it's like in the moments that he that Vagar is kind of hovering over the canyon in this moment of calm and and peace where Aemon is trying to scout and look down beneath for Arax and this is when he yells, "You owe a debt. You owe a debt." Oh man, that's so crazy. So ominous. Ah. Uh. And the rain and the wind is crazy. I mean, they're like yeah, drenched, just madness, soaking drenched. And then uh, he crosses over the end of the canyon, and he's looking for him. And that's when, out of nowhere, you hear Luke screaming, "No, Arax!" Then Arax comes out of the mist from the side, and boom, just flames the side of Vagar's face. Mm-hmm. And Vagar's like, Argh! And you can hear Luke screaming, no, Arax, serve me. me. And you can tell that Arax is not doing what, what he's, what, what Luke wants him to do. Luke is sworn to be a messenger, not a warrior. And uh, so I was surprised at first that 
all of a sudden Arax is attacking, but then you hear that Luke is telling him, no, no, no. And it must just be that, that Arax is, is feeling Luke's fear and feeling the threat of, you know, he understands the threat of the larger dragon and he just takes actions into his own hands uh, to try to save his rider and to save himself. And he blasts Vagar. And this is where things turn really bad. This pisses off Vagar, who growls and and as Vagar kind of lurches and starts behaving on his own, Aemon is sitting on the top, getting jostled around in the saddle, and he's pulling on the reins and saying, no, Vagar, serve me, because Vagar is just doing his own thing at this point. No, no, serve me. And then it cuts back to Luke and... Arax and Arax is pumping his wings fiercely trying to escape in panic mode. And then he boom, crosses out into the open air and he starts gliding and his wings sp- slow down. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Keep moving, keep moving. And Luke is looking around and then just out of nowhere from the clouds, Vagar just whoop, appears and just munches them both. And, immediately oh, like, there's man. no chance it's like no that chance scene for... out of uh how to train your dragon except they actually get caught and eaten by the bigger dragon <laughs> and at first i thought that vagar just <laughs> munch and chew and then just spits him out like you know just and he does but he oh i looked i looked closely and johnny store pointed this out to me um Johnny from Outlawed Paint in in Cali. If you need a good paint job on your car or or motorcycle, hit him up because he's he's awesome, award winning painter. He pointed out to me that no pieces of Lucerus are falling with <laughs> with Arax. He ate Lucerus and spit out the dragon. <laughs> and I watched closely, and I see no pieces of Lucerus yeah, one, um, on. Sp- Screen Crush or another uh, recap video, they said they thought they saw Luke falling. And I saw somebody else say they thought they saw his cloak falling, but I'm not sure. It's all yeah, it's just hard pe- to tell. little pieces. It's really hard to but tell. Either way, it's, you know, I mean, just obliterated instantly. Nothing Luke could do. There's no way he could have avoided it. Like, Vagar had, had a oh. line on him, and it was just immediate. It's like, uh, you know what this reminds me of is that seal hunting technique that the great white sharks use off of seal island down in the south where there's Mm -hmm. this underwater um geography where there's a flat ocean and it kind of curves up towards the beginning of this island and the seals will be you know doing their thing at the top and the the great whites just boom launch up and intercept the seals in mid mid swimming and they sometimes the great whites launch out of the air and it's breaching it's famous for getting you know people get great footage of the great whites breaching down there breaching out of the water is a special adaptation learned by great whites at seal island to help them surprise and capture their prey and this is like the same thing vagar calculates where he needs to be to intercept arax in his flight pattern and just boom, just obliterates him. And yeah, it seems, yeah, it's hard to, it's really hard to tell if he eats him fully or not. (laughs) I'm watching it right now. Um, Oh, it's, it's really hard to tell. I can't tell. I I think he ate him, dude. I think he ate Lucerus. (laughs) So I'm wondering if we, if, if in season two, if they say they found Eric's body washed up on the beach or Luke and Eric's body or, 
if they say anything about it, how Damon finds out. I had an idea. They go out into the open air here. It's possible that Rainice is on Maylie's patrolling the area and she sees it in the distance and hears the screams. And uh, mm. so that could be possible. And then she hustles back to, to, to Dragonstone to give the word. But yeah, this is not as intended by either anybody here. Uh, Arax is not obeying. Vagar is no, not obeying. It lends credence to what King Viserys had said earlier in this series when he was speaking with Rhaenyra in front of Beleriand's skull, and he said that the idea that we control the dragons is an illusion. It seems like the dragons just wreak havoc on everything, and then the Targaryens just take take credit for it as if it was their idea, you know, their command. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know, I, all in all, it's it's really interesting twist that this is all kind of a big accident. Um, I mean, not fully an accident, but because... They shouldn't be playing chicken with dragons, but <laughs> their Eamon's intention wasn't to kill him. It was to scare him and, and kind of run him off and to toy with him. But obviously when a dragon's involved, dragons don't understand playtime, toy time. Um, so, but after thinking about it, I, I do like the book version better where Eamon is just ruthless and he sees this as his opportunity to kill Prince Lucerus, his arch nemesis ever since he took his eye. Um, that just gives Eamon this absolute brutality and evil that is a little bit of that is taken away from him here. And, you know, it's an interesting wrinkle. It, it, it dramatizes it more and makes it more like fretful for us, for Eamon, for the greens now that, Oh no, what have we done? Obviously Rhaenyra is going to unleash fury on them. So, but you know, it's, the absolute cutthroat part of it. Like, like I've said before that they, they take a little bit of that away from Allison and Rhaenyra and Amond here, but still, no, it's not really a complaint, but it's, it's still really, really fantastic, but a slight book change. And, but it's one of those things is where it's a history book. So nobody knew Amon's intention. Exactly. It's just the after effect. Oh, Amon went and with Vagar and killed Luke and Arax. It's like the history books have no way of knowing Eamon's intent and what really happened up there in the sky. So it's just witness, eyewitnesses through a storm at storm's end as they were flying away. So how could anybody know? So it's not that it's wrong from the books. It's again, it's the whole point of the history book. Don't know. And this show is filling in the gaps. So it's really cool. Yeah. I love that. I really like that. Um, and, and it could be our, the perception in the history book could be from the way that Eamon described it upon returning. So even in the book's case, this may have been what actually happened, but Eamon has to decide, you know, what if I, he's like, as he's sitting on top of Vagar, and he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, he's, he's looking around in panic, like, what have I done? You know, and he's got to be thinking like, do I admit this was an accident and look incompetent and unworthy of riding Vagar, Or do, do I just embrace and be a kin, you know, and it's like, what's better, being a kinslayer maniac or being an incompetent, unworthy dragon rider? And so mm. he must think about this on the ride home. And uh, I really like how they've done this. They've ad added more details to the circumstances in the books. Uh, to Instead of like canceling things out, they're just adding nuance. And in the books, he, he yeah. takes credit and embraces being a kinslayer. 
and which I think we're going to see happen on the show. But we're, it's just adding to that learning that it may be built on a line and accident. And then as the war progresses and his reputation precedes him, he probably steps into the role of the public perception of himself and yeah. actually becomes that maniac. So I like the idea that that we're seeing him, you know, unwillingly sort of be forced into that role of the evil kinslayer. It's similar to Jamie Lannister, you know, like yep. he has his reputation of being a horrible kingslayer with uh, with no honor. And since nobody would would believe him or understand his his the truth and he can't he's sworn to protect Arius's secrets, he just sort of embraces the role and and acts the part and comes across as vicious and and ruthless and uh, diabolical. So I think we're going to see a similar type thing happen here with Amond, where it's an accident, but it results in his the development of this persona that he em ends up embodying and enjoying and uh, and relishing in. And uh, we, we, you know, he does like uh, it's it's lurking beneath the surface. You know, he wants the eye. He he poses like a maniac with a dagger. And now it's like, uh, you know, it just just needed a little push. Right. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's one of the first things um, I'm excited to see next season is what happens when he gets back to King's Landing, how he plays it. Um, what Allison, what her how, what her take is on how they should play it politically. Um, obviously, it's happened. You know, how are we going to spin it? We're going to yeah. spin it as they attacked us or are we just going to say, no, we murdered him. It's war. Let's go. But, you know, Eamon flies away, you know, you know, away in the sunlight and he's just total just shock, fear, regret, uh, just he's he's this may be the first time he's ever realized that he is not in control of that dragon. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think. It seems that way. And uh, this seems to be like a recurring theme throughout the show. People letting people think things and perceive them in a certain way. And then, you know, acting uh, as if that's the case. Because people have said like they've softened Alicent. But we may just be learning that she embraced the perceptions of those around her. Like Damon, who didn't deny the accusations of the heir for a day. Who didn't deny sodomizing uh, Rhaenyra at the whorehouse. And Rhaenyra, who didn't deny having Lynar killed. They let these people have these conceptions to make them seem scarier and more intimidating. And uh, maybe that's the case with uh, Amond as well, that he just sort of fell into the role of the big bad wolf and uh, decided to embrace it and roll with it so that people wouldn't mess with him as much. <laughs> and uh, so I think we'll get that sort of vicious, ruthless, diabolical Amond down the line, but it makes it all the more sort of tragic and impactful that it seems to have started as an accident. Yeah, it feels like they're they're adding more depth to the book rather than changing things and taking things away, which mm -hmm. we've seen in other adaptations. Uh, you know, they have like a sort of a skeleton story to work with, and I'm I've been really impressed with how they're fleshing it out and adding all the musculature and and everything like that. Um, it's crazy. So much like the the parents set the dominoes in motion by teaching the kids to view each other as threats, the kids set 
their own dominoes in motion by treating their dragons as pets, <laughs> wrongly thinking that they can control them. And like, yeah. Aemond activates Vagar's prey drive because he thinks he can control him. But so dude, Vagar thinks you're hunting, bro. You know, <laughs> and, uh, uh-huh. and the flame attack from Arax just settles it. Arax senses a danger, feels Luke's fear and acts. It's not a game to the dragons. Um, even though, or, or to Luke, <laughs> but even if Eamon is just screwing around, but, uh, sometimes you just have to make some mistakes to learn, <laughs> to, to mm, learn the truth, some, you know, some brutal mistakes. Yeah. So Eamon is taunting him about owing, uh, owing him a debt, an eye for an eye. Now he's, he's taken his life. So does he owe a life debt? <laughs> you know, is someone going to try to claim it? Remember only death can pay for life. Oh man. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah. Pretty sure that's what Damon and Rhaenyra are. That's going to be their mindset going forward. Yeah, I think so. Only death can pay for life. Can pay for life. We, um, man, I wonder how many takes they did of this shot because this is long tracking shot of Damon walking into the hall. He kind of goes left around the painted table. We zoom down the painted table <clears throat> and then he is, it's really interesting the way they decided to shoot this. Eamon and Rhaenyra both turn their backs to the camera and slowly walk toward the fireplace. Takes her hand to see, and leads her yeah, we, away. We don't get to see him give her the news or her like see their face and how he conveys the emotion of what has happened and how oh. she immediately takes it. We see her kind of like stumble and almost like fall knowing that he just told her Luke is dead. He was killed on the way back. Whatever he told her, we don't know. Must have been witnessed by Rhaenys. He's been killed <clears throat> by, or it could, I mean, this could be the next day when they were found. And then Raven True, yeah, slew. we don't know about. Who, I mean, we don't, we, we, they show it to us immediately, but with this show and same with Game of Thrones, you never really know, yeah, the passage of time exactly, unless they talk about the time jumps. So, but she stumbles and falls and kind of, you know, recomposes herself. And the, the, I, I really wonder if this was the first take because I, I just. Of the, of her reaction shot here. Her, and but this is all one long shot. So they have to reset everybody, reset Damon to redo the shot. I'm sure they did it multiple times, but the way they did it and she turned and the timing as the camera got closer and closer to her and she turned and this, I mean, I don't even know how to describe that look. I mean, absolute fury, absolute sadness and just mourning. I mean, it's really everything. And uh, Um, motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Like the tables have turned. She said, if we strike, if war is going to happen, we're not going to strike the first blow. And they did it. Eamon struck the first blow and it resulted in the death, you know, of her sweet boy. So. It's it's going to be it's going to get real bad for everybody, but obviously for Amon and the Greens, it's going to be bad. Ah, uh, yeah, it's it's so sad, man. Especially you know considering the last, like throughout this episode, Luke had shown that he has so much trust in her, and she tried to tell him, you know, I'm imperfect, and this proves her imperfection like all too painfully, uh, in the mo- in the worst possible way, and. She tried to make it easy. She gave him the easy mission, you know, uh, but they should have known that other dragons were going to be flying around to similar places. And 
she just had a mindset of peace and didn't think, uh, you know, didn't you, you can never really account for the wild cards, you know? Yeah. And Damon or Amon, Damon and Damon, not and Amon are the wild cards of this story, I think mm-hmm. for the most part. So you just, and again, you know, like you said, her mindset is where's we haven't started the war. I'm trying to hold the realm together in peace. Uh, Allison said terms via auto. She said she's going to give her answer on the morrow, but the war hasn't started. Nobody has, has fired a shot. You know, nobody has, I mean, there's obviously been aggression, you know, use the greens usurping the throne, but there's been no violence yet. Um, but now there has, and she wasn't expecting that Luke obviously wasn't expecting that. So it, I really want to see where we pick up at the the first scene of season two, if it's still aimed on Vagar and he turns back to King's Landing and, you know, he probably gives them the good news, bad news. Hey, uh, I got House Baratheon with us. Oh, great. Great job, Eamon. That's good. And I killed Lucerus. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting so. to see how he, you know, how he handles it. Because like I was saying, either he can be known as a fool and an incompetent dragon rider who is like, doesn't even deserve it. Or he can be known as a kinslayer who is ruthless and vicious. And, you know, like he, is he going to act tough and own the disaster to save face and pretend it was all intentional? Um, or is he going to admit that he's an idiot and, <laughs> you know, and lose all credibility and respect? Mm, you know? I think he owns it and becomes the villain. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously he's been the villain sort of, but really, like you said, really embrace it. Yeah. He's going to just go full bore into that psychopathic reputation. Hopefully that's what I want to see. Yeah, <laughs> That's going to be fun to watch. Never go full psycho. Never go full psycho. Um, yeah. Any, any other thoughts you have on this, this episode or anything else? I don't think it? so, man, this has been so fun. Uh, very, honored to be on the show and come and talk with you guys every week. So thank you, Duncan. Thank you fans for being so supportive and uh, all our feedbackers. Uh, Thank you guys. Uh, It's been so much fun uh, doing this these last two and a half months. I've had a great time. Yeah. It's been awesome having you. I've had a really good time as well. And uh, it's too bad we couldn't get Rachel in here for, (laughs) to be our, our number three. Um, But you know, I'm sure we'll make it happen next time around, hopefully. Schedule conflicts, you know, we just couldn't make it happen, unfortunately. But yeah, it's been really awesome having you on the show and I've had a lot of fun. And um, I think we should uh, come back next weekend and do a live show uh, just as a a season wrap up type thing. If you want, I guess this weekend, now that it's almost next weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you got time, Johnny stitches, uh, is going to be down as well. Archmaster stitches and, uh, Sir Matthew of house rep will hopefully have time as well. Um, I know you've got limited availability on Sundays, but we can, uh, you know, talk about it and see what we, what we figure out and, uh, try yeah, to make yeah, something happen. Fun. And (laughs) all right, so stick with us and we'll be right back after a short break.
crazy, mm. crazy this, thing. This, this whole episode is a here we go. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Let's do some Ravens calls. Mm. Sir Richard of House Horsefield says, well, 10 quick weeks have come and gone already. Sure has, Sir Richard. Now to be sad for the long winter that approaches. What an episode. What a season. What a show. No real cliffhanger to keep us on the edge of our seats. Wait, what? That was a cliffhanger to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Let me start that over. No real cliffhanger to keep us on the edge of our seats, which I'm glad of. But, oh, man, the stage for the dance is well and truly set. Cannot wait for season two. Damon talking more in this episode than he has all season. (laughs) (laughs) And still the baddest MF in the room. More badass Grandma Rainey's action. Yeah. The return of the sea snake and the emergence of the Kinslayer. Oh. Uh, this is me saying a uh, uh, GOT had their Kinslayer with Jamie, and now a Hot D has their Kinslayer. Uh, Sir Richard continues. One season in, and was Jamie I a love Kinslayer this. as well as a Kingslayer? Oh, yeah, he was Kingslayer. I think sometimes he considers killing Tyrion, but he never does. <laughs> or Cersei. Right. He wants to strangle Tyrion. her, too. Tyrion is the Kinslayer. He kills Tywin. Maybe that's yeah, what I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah. So a Kingslayer in GOT and a Kinslayer in Hot D. Uh, Sir Richard continues, one season in, and I love this more than GOT. Wow, Ooh, nice. High praise. It's just better. <laughs> On a personal note, thank you guys for everything you've done this season. Your show is also amazing, and you've helped me keep sane on the long drives for work, as well as countless memes. <laughs> awesome. You're very welcome, yeah. Sir Richard. And uh, glad you get to listen to us while uh, riding across the beautiful Scottish and English countryside. Driving through the Scottish rain. <laughs> Driving through the rain. <laughs> We've got the last high gardener of high garden, Corey Eugene Kuhn. Saying Lord Boros Galifianakis was proud to host a prince and his dragon. Yeah, just not the second second son to arrive. Deuces loses. So brutal. R.I. pieces. He's got a gif of Zach Galifianakis. Oh, I'm fancy. <laughs> On another note, he says, does it make me a bastard for agonizing over Eric's death while struggling off little while shrugging while shrugging off little Lord Strong's demise as just the tune we needed to hear before we begin to dance? (laughs) Yes, makes you a bastard. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that little dragon getting chomped up into all the pieces. That was was horrific. So sad. (laughs) So sad. Sir Matthew of House Rip says last week we saw a bottle episode in king's landing as allison otto and the Greens scramble to take advantage of the small window of time left for them after viserys death becomes known throughout westeros this week we see rhaenyra and daemon's reactions first off the news of allison's betrayal sends rhaenyra into early labor delivering a half dragon monstrosity Ooh. the likes of which mary mazdur will later witness born of daenerys to Cal Drogo. Rago. Yeah. Damon leaps to action, calling his banners to war while Rhaenyra preaches for peace, much like Otto and Alicent on the Greens. 
we see the Valerians swear to the blacks and Damon gives us that all important dragon roll call. <laughs> While the blacks outnumber the greens at least two to one, one of those greens three is Vagar. <laughs> As not to risk more rambling on, I'll just say that poor Luke's death may appear to have been an accident. It is the point of no return between the two queen mothers and the children they raised for war. Oh, man. Yeah, there's no forgiving after this. No. It's just going to be fire and blood, you know. Oh, it's going to be crazy. Princess Adela says, I have lots of questions about episodes nine and ten, like the Alicent foot thing. How did it, how did it get to that? Why doesn't she have Sir Kristen, Sir Suckup, take care of that? <laughs> Two things stood out to me in this in episode 10. During the dragon fight, did it seem like the dragons weren't obeying? Yeah, big time. Just like Viserys said, the idea that we control the dragons is an illusion. Um, and would Damon really kill Rhaenyra? It seemed like he... You know, he, he was considering it for a second. She continues, I kind of thought he might feel something for her, but I guess the thought of losing the throne and Rhaenyra having knowledge of something he does not reminds him of being a second son and not a true heir. Yeah, it's true. Also, the idea of losing the throne probably had him all edged on edge. Like, it was finally going to happen. We're finally going to score. Like Beavis and Butthead, but then nope. <laughs> You know, eight through 10 really hit home for me coming from a large multi-generation family. The shit is real hate and lies being passed down. And sometimes when we try to fix it, it's too late. And the younger generations suffer grief, loss and misunderstanding. Give people tunnel vision. Thanks for all the time you guys put into this. It's a highlight to my week. Thank you for listening, Lady Adela. It's great to hear from you and awesome to get some feedback for, from you for the finale. Thanks for writing in. And we've got a voicemail from Archmaster Stitches. Sir Duncan, Lord Yo. Zach. How you guys doing, man? That's it. That's a wrap on season one. It's Archmaster Stitches here from the Siren Isle with the sleeping dragon Janos right below me. I'm uh, <laughs> Ooh, up in the, in the high siren tower <laughs> of the Siren Isle right now cleaning out the studio. Um, so I'm a little out of breath. Running up and down the stairs. Oh, man. All right. Anyway, last night, great, <laughs> great, great fucking episode. I feel like, um, I think, I feel like I'm feeling that way because of the last part, kind of the same way I felt with Rainice breaking through the dragon pit. That being said, <laughs> I feel like both of these episodes are like reflections of each other, not really yeah. like a season finale, not like a penultimate. So I kind of, this episode helps me forgive last episode a little more. Nice. It's like, oh, okay, I see what they did here. Two halves of a you whole. You know, with the exception of Amon, there was really no one from the, well, that and Hightower, but there wasn't a whole lot of, like, green influence on this on this episode. I mean, granted, it's a dramatic in the, at the end. There's a massive green influence with Amon's, uh... Uh, snackery. <laughs> anyway, yeah, man. Um, but yeah, I feel like mirror reflections of each other. Like last one was the green episode. This one is the black episode. Like, but we're both ending the season. And I mean, I feel like they could have spliced both of these episodes up in tandem a little more and ended this season with like, you know, 
freaking something dramatic happening on the green side, something dramatic happening on the the black side and not leaving a whole lot of downtime because there was a lot of downtime at the beginning of this episode. And there was a lot of downtime. I feel like at the beginning of uh, episode nine, they didn't find but out about last all that episode. I, said, that's it. I mean, that's my criticism though. as far as that. Everything else was freaking gold, dude. Oh Heyman's yeah. Blue ass Sapphire eye. Dude. God, I love that dude. And right? I love again, <laughs> speaking against the textbook, which just keeps getting like, Further and further back in my brain as this show elevates itself. Like, <laughs> oh man, that source material is going to be really boring after this show's done. Yeah, they just add um, so much to it. But yeah, like, flesh it out like mad. I love, I love how he's like, no, that's my, yeah, I don't like the kid. I want to cut his eye out, but I don't want to kill him. <laughs> like, because from that dinner uh, that we had a few episodes back, um, for the last dinner with Viserys and the way he's acting in the yard, he just seems like more of a daemon, like the stone cold killer. And he's probably going to turn into something like that after that traumatic event happening. Exactly. But you see his innocence in that moment, man, where he's still just a, a kid with some weapon. He of fucking, he just can't control. Makes his fall both all of them the more tragic. Control. But uh, yeah, and little, little spitfire was like, hey, psh. There you go. How about that, you big bitch? And that's like, oh, yeah, how about this? Life over, you little bitch. So I thought it was funny how the dragons just at that point are killing dragons. And once that starts, I mean, it doesn't sound like there's going to be no more dragons. Um, that, uh, there aren't any when Game of Thrones starts. Fucking um, Shireen said, doesn't sound much like a dunce to me. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, man. Uh, great episode. Great feedback. I, I got to catch a little bit of y'all stream last night and oh, I got nice. to listen to the rest of it today. Um, Show up this weekend. I mean, again, I didn't have any buffering problems because I just watched your recorded upload. And when I watched it last night, I got to catch a little bit of it. But uh, cool. And I uh, I like a freaking so much. It feels like just happened. But um, I love the setting of Storm's End. I mean, it seemed like something out of like a Dark Souls game. Yeah. Um, oh, or something Dark like Souls. that. Just the setting, obviously, not yeah. creatures and shit. But like it just had this like Firelink gothic, shrine. ominous. That's what it felt like. Foreboding feeling to it. Just when he lands, just the music. Yeah, right. The yeah. setting, all of it was just exactly. so good. Just like and Firelink Shrine like when said, dropped off Knowing by it's going to happen. But in the books, no one was up in the sky with them. There wasn't some maester flying behind them with a little pen and paper like, oh, that's what happened. Look, you know, so it's so cool seeing this personal perspective of this uh, accounting that we've heard. I mean, I guess more than like major events, I feel like more and more the source material isn't really a spoiler for this stuff at all. It feels like they're they're putting so much of a spin on so many things without changing the course of history that, uh, you know, so good, dude, that you, I don't know. I mean, I'm still just as engaged. I feel like as my wife, when we're sitting down watching it together. So I'm really, really stoked with it. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do with season two. And, um, man, talk about a show that I wasn't that hyped for. Um, I mean, I was hyped, but I mean, I wasn't, I, I loved Game of Thrones, and I'm not one of those, oh, after the horrible thing that was season eight, how could I ever watch another game? I'm not one of them people at all. I enjoyed season eight. Yeah, me too. But I thought freaking game, uh, HBO like, was just going to just kind of like 
stick some crap together and try to ride off of the Game of Thrones nameplate. Yeah, exactly. And they haven't. They completely, this is just its own body of art and its own course. And I mean, this show would be amazing whether there was a Game of Thrones or not. And Far I love exceeding that. my expectations. You know, so hats off to them and more focused telling. Since we're not worried about what is a house Lannister, what is a house Highgarden, and all mm. that kind of stuff that they have to establish in the main series, yep. you get to enjoy this really nuanced story between this massive house fracturing, and I love it. So, yeah. great, great feedback this season, guys. Both of you two dudes fucking killing it. Great feedback Busting from ass, you. Throwing out these long-ass episodes that are so in-depth and uh, going over everything, and I really appreciate all y'all's hard work. Thanks again for shouting out Sirenicide and Hearing the Haunted. Oh, yeah. And coming this Halloween, Back from the Dead, my new show. Not fiction, finally nonfiction. What the hell, what? Anyway. <laughs> what the what? Uh, just a little <laughs> teaser there. Why not? Have a, a great uh, off-season, guys, and uh, I might be joining y'all pretty soon for something. Yeah. So we'll see. Until then, Archmaster Stitches, oh! Always great to hear from you, Johnny. Excellent feedback, as always. And thanks for your consistent feedback through the season, Johnny. It's been a pleasure to have you on the on the show. And too bad we couldn't get you on as a guest, but we'll, we'll try to get you on this weekend for a season wrap-up. Absolutely. Thanks, Johnny. All right. That's our show, episode 131. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks so much. See ya. A huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. And many thanks to our epic patrons on Patreon. Sirenicide, Lord John of House Grills, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lord Jeremiah of House Becker, the last High Gardener of High Garden, Sir Corey Eugene of House Coon, Lady Naya of House Thrice, Lady Mary Jo of House Williams, and Princess Adela. On another note, if you enjoy my take on things, you might be excited to learn that I have a project of my own, a Bruin, a novel-slash-screenplay hybrid series called The Core Saga. And I'll be releasing more information about that soon, so keep your ears open, because I've got over 1,100 pages written, and it's going to be epic. More details coming soon. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping, then go on over to gameofmicrophones.com, scroll down to the bottom, and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps and you can help secure the continued existence of G-O-M. And make sure to check out Sirenicide and Hearing the Haunted, the horror drama podcasts featuring me and Archmaster Stitches. Go to sirenicide.com and hearingthehaunted.com and download them wherever you get your podcasts. Next episode, we'll be doing a season wrap-up podcast, and we'll uh, let you know as soon as that's coming out. But it's been great covering this season of House of the Dragon. I think it's a really awesome show with a lot of potential moving forward. It's going to be, it's, I'm pretty excited for waiting a millennium until we have the next season. Absolutely. It'll be worth it, though. If you'd like to call in, you can call us at 813 Joffrey. That's 813 563 3739. 
yeah, feel free to send us a message and we can incorporate it into our live season wrap-up show. Or if you want to send in comments about how you liked the season, you can shoot us a raven and email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Make sure to join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast, where we share memes and fun banter about Game of Thrones and Hot D. Yeah. Imp-slap. Oh. Dragon Chomp. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you can also watch Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, Odyssey, and Rumble. Audio podcasts are great, but video is better. And we're still trying to build our tiny little minuscule subscriber count so go to youtube.com slash game of phone game of microphones right now and subscribe likes comments and shares are appreciated we're also on twitter instagram gab and minds at g-o-m podcast and we're on tumblr too at game of microphones all right that's our show thanks Thanks for for listening. Vagar, no, no. Okay, ready? Yellow little leather boots, little leather boots. <laughs> red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> All right. Oh, 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 drop it, should I <clears throat> Record yourselves. <laughs> Express Record yourself. yourself. War. War. <laughs> like Otto, yeah. A dual wounded. He's an Olympic long jumper. Jumping straight to the conclusion. <laughs> yeah. They killed him. You've killed my brother. Prepare to die. Yep, sorry. <laughs> okay, I got it. All right. Burn them all. Burn them all. Burn them all. Where's my sister? Woo! He's on the mend. Woo! Damon says Vermax. In German. Vermax. <laughs> like Wehrmacht. Wehrmacht and Flaggenmuggensnaggen. <laughs> yeah. Damon is so frightening in this moment. He's awesome. He is, you can tell, he is absolutely. He means it with every ounce of himself. He means it. Roasting the green hosts. Roasting the host. Host roast. (laughs) Toast to the roasting host. (laughs) She, she She roasts the green host to toast. Speaking of toasting. Next, we have the cremation scene. Oh, God, that was such a brutal transition.
<laughs> sorry. That's not my name. What, what is wrong with you? <laughs> he doesn't have to be asked like, uh, you know, Damon had to force yeah. the other two guys at Dragon Point. <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah, awesome. Not a gunpoint at Dragon Point. Yeah, yeah. Damon is like Rick James, man. He's a habitual line stepper. You got these names down, bro. You're Dude. like, boom, Baltimore's Caltagar. With Raina, Baina, Raina, Bela, Lena, those I have the most trouble with, with the Valerian ladies. And that look at the end is like a Danny look, a mad Targaryen woman. Don't mess with them. Don't mess with them. If they can, you know, get a toehold. He actually says that word in a minute. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Instead of foothold. Um, yeah, foothold. Just, just so it's not even a toehold. It's a tiny. We just need a little toehold. Um, Next really time it'll so. be, uh, you know, Damon goes in singing his song, doing his jig, dancing. Next time it'll be Damon and Raina singing a duet. You know, yeah, <laughs> harmonizing right, yeah. with each other in counterpoint. Turn it, turn it into a little, a little music, a little mini musical inside of uh, Hot D yeah. season two. And she climbs on up. Vermithor. Crab people. Crab people. Crab people. I see it all the time. I don't know why to write this like H-A-R or H-A-R-R. It's, it's like, loop Harrenhal with a capitalization and everything. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's I have a hilarious. problem. My phone knows. <laughs> my, spo- my phone text, uh, predictive text knows how to speak uh, a song of ice and fire. A toehold. <laughs> you owe a dead boy. I'm Team Green. I, like I root for Team Green. Like I root for the Joker. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, he said we can have every green head mounting mounted on spikes before the moon turns. <laughs> and you know Which, me. I mean, I guess I love those spikes. So I was all for that. <laughs> Go ahead. Heads on spikes. Heads on spikes. <laughs> yeah. Um, he hesitated before even entering past the the um, the dangling sh- the the curtain and thought you were approaching say dangling participle. The dangler, yeah. Damon's mother dialed during childbirth. Uh, Did you say dialed? <laughs> Finally, the king and his good grace will pardon any knight or lord who conspired against his ascent. Um, <laughs> clear the room. Clear the room. Clear the room. Clear the room. <laughs> clear the room. Clear the room. Clear the room. I mean, yeah, he literally Darth Vader's uh, <laughs> Padme here. Yeah. And he, he Anakin's Padme. Uh-huh. And, um, too few to win a war for the throne. Like, thank you, Captain Obvious. Um, <laughs> he is a captain, too. Right, yeah. <laughs> the Lord of the Tides, Master of Driftmar, Driftmar Captain of Obvious. <laughs> but he trusts her because she's perfect and she wouldn't make a dumb decision. Don't eat the help. And as Luke walks forward, we hear it. A deep grumble. <laughs> oh man, it's so awesome! You gotta marry one of my daughters. King Aegon came with an offer. Oh man, hold on, I'm about to sneeze. Possibly. Oh, what type of nut always has a cold? <laughs> Cashew. <laughs> nice. I will not fight you. <laughs> He looks like a lunatic. It's awesome. 
if I want to, I want a husband with all his parts. Why does Vigar? I figured out the whole problem. They're speaking to the dragons in English. <laughs> a little bit. That was back and forth. No, Vagar. No, Vagar. <laughs> uh, Come on, hit me. Hit me. Uh, hit me with it. Uh, you sound like an airline pilot. <laughs> Tina uh, from uh, Bob's Burgers. <laughs> airline we're pilots. At, uh, flight level 350. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth ride. Oh, thanks for flying with Delta. Oh, nice <laughs> That's awesome. That's going in the outtakes for sure. <laughs> you know, he probably gives them the good news, bad news. Hey, uh, I got House Baratheon with us. Oh, great. Great job, Eamon. That's good. And I killed Lucerus. Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> Is he going to act tough and own the disaster to save face and pretend it was all intentional? Um or is he going to admit that he's an idiot and <laughs> you know, and lose all credibility and respect? Deuces, Lucis. <laughs> oh, oh, too soon. So too brutal. soon. R.I. Pieces. Does it make me a bastard for agonizing over Eric's death while struggling off little while shrugging? Ah. <laughs> Dragon chomp. <laughs> <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero Bread. 